Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and something to take notes with this morning. Good to be in church together. Megan, thanks for sharing that. That was really awesome. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Oh, man, here we go. All right, now I'm good. We are starting off this year together as a church with a series called Kingdom Fruit. Has anybody been here the last few weeks? A few people? Schaefer's, welcome back from your killer vacation. So glad you're back. And I'm happy you were on an amazing vacation. The Schaefer's got to take a killer vacation, and we're happy for them, aren't we? We celebrate each other's wins around here. We are starting the year off talking about kingdom fruit. We believe that God is calling our attention as a church this year to kingdom fruit. We looked at Matthew 21 at the first Sunday of the year where Jesus says some very strong things to us, his followers, and to those who weren't following him. As he was getting closer and closer to his death and resurrection, he was extremely clear. And he was talking about different parables in Matthew chapter 1. And he says to the people who thought that they were part of the kingdom because of their pedigree or because of their background. And he says uh, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and it will be given to those producing its fruits. We want to be people in the kingdom of God. We want to produce kingdom fruit. So we're taking these few weeks to talk about what does that look like? How do we not have the kingdom of God taken away from us and rather be a people who live producing the fruit of the kingdom. We're talking about the lifestyle of kingdom fruit. We're wrapping that around the language that we have here at Antioch of our five values. These aren't things that we came up with. It's just our language for how we capture the lifestyle of kingdom fruit that we see outlined in scripture and that we see testified to and modeled throughout all of church history. What are the things that Christians who have borne kingdom fruit do? What are the things that communities of believers who have borne kingdom fruit do? We want to do those things because we want kingdom fruit. The first few weeks, we've talked about personal devotion, making disciples, life group. And this week, we're talking about corporate gatherings. It's the language we have. I'll discuss that as we spend our time here together. I had you open up to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, If you were part of our church last year, we went chapter by chapter through Hebrews. So we're back into Hebrews because it's just that good. And we're going to read a chunk of Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Before we read, I want to give a little bit of context and reminder for what is going on here in the book of Hebrews as we get to chapter 10. The book of Hebrews is a letter written by a pastor to a group of people, a group of believers, Jesus followers, who are encountering a lot of really hard things in their life. They are people who have a background of faith. They have an understanding of scripture, but they're facing a lot of challenges and persecution because they're following Jesus. Economically, they're experiencing difficulties. Socially, they're experiencing difficulties. Some of them, they have had friends and family leave them in their life. Some of them have had brothers and sisters in the Lord, brothers and sisters in the faith, killed for their faith. 
things are tough and they're understandably asking a lot of questions like, is all of this really true? Is all of this really worth it? They're being tempted to compromise and give up some of their faith to avoid some of the pain that they're facing in their life. How could they, right? How could they ask such questions? No, we, we all ask these questions. We all know what that's like. Maybe we haven't faced exactly what they're facing, but we know what it is to encounter difficulty because of what God is doing in our lives, because of following Jesus and ask the question, why am I doing this? Why should I keep going? It, it shakes you. Is this really all true? Do I really still believe this? Things like struggle and pain and loss and fear and confusion have a way of bringing up these questions in us, bringing up tensions in our hearts, in our lives, bringing up struggles that we didn't know were in there. Like I said, you've probably experienced this. Something goes wrong. Things get upended in life. It's disruptive. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. If you're in there, it's also really normal for that to happen. It's frustratingly normal or frust. What am I trying to say? It's frustrating. There it is how normal it is in life to experience disruption. When you experience those things, when you ask questions about your faith and about God, when you experience those things, it's uncomfortable, it's scary, because the thing is uncomfortable and scary, but it is also normal. You're not crazy for asking these questions. We all understand, how, we all understand this, and, and the Hebrews understand this. The people in the book of Hebrews. And that's comforting. It's encouraging to know all the way back to the book of Hebrews. It is a common experience among us Christians to go through challenges because we're following Jesus. And those challenges that we are experiencing because we're following Jesus make us question Jesus. It's a common experience for us. And that's annoying, but the truth is, and the history shows, and our own testimonies show, that sometimes it is... And maybe we might just say all the time, it is the grace of God to allow us to get to the bottom of the well. It's the grace of God to let me get to the spot where I have to go deeper. I have to go deeper. It's hard. Sometimes it's ugly. But oftentimes it is the Lord bringing you to the end, allowing you to get to the bottom so he can take you farther and so that he can take you deeper. The pastor who is writing the book of Hebrews, he is strengthening his people with the gospel. He's calling them to faithfulness and steadfastness in the midst of their challenges. He is calling them and inviting them deeper, calling them farther into the grace of God in the midst of their challenges. That's what's happening in Hebrews chapter 10. Would you stand and read with me the word of God? I was going to read just a couple of verses that kind of made the point, but I figured why do that when you can read a bunch of verses. So we're going to start in 19 through the end of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, we do not throw away, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he strings back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who promises and you are the one who is faithful. We pray that you would draw us together into the holy place that you have opened up in your very flesh, into the house of God with full assurance of faith, covered in grace. We thank you for that. We recognize you here this morning. We bless your holy name. We thank you for your living word. We come under your name, Lord, and as we <laughs> fall short in that, just help us. <laughs> help us come near to you and to one another. I pray that in our time together, we would be stirred up to love and good works. And we would encourage one another as we look to the day of being with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, go ahead and take a seat. We are talking about corporate gatherings as a lifestyle of bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. When we say corporate gatherings, what exactly is it that we're talking about? It's kind of a, Maybe a silly word, corporate gather. What are we talking about here? We're really simply just talking about the times we get together. It is an essential element 
of the lifestyle of bearing kingdom fruit. Us getting together. Us getting together. Different people, different life groups, but we all get together here on Sunday mornings, same time, same place, oftentimes same seats. Am I right? <laughs> we get together on Sundays. We do it throughout the year, but this is our most consistent one. And I am so thankful to be here on another Sunday with you, worshiping Jesus, receiving the word of God. Praise the Lord. As we get into talking about corporate gatherings, as I've been praying and preparing to preach this morning, I've noticed that I, I can't help but have kind of the, the defender rise up in me about corporate gatherings. So I could be way off on this and maybe just in my own little world. So if that's the case, you're just going to have to bear with me. But I feel this need to defend against the bad idea that this doesn't really matter that much. That's a bad idea. I don't care who says it, what letters are before or after their name. It's a bad idea to say that these gatherings don't matter. Again, I might be off here, but I've just noticed in the last 10 years of being a pastor, I've noticed an, an uptick year by year in the questioning of why do these gatherings really matter? I rarely hear non-Christians ask that question, but I hear it from Christians. Like, don't we just need personal devotion and maybe then like house to house or, you know, things like that. Sometimes I'll hear people reference different cultures or different countries or different different somewhere else and or look at like disciple making movements that happen around the world or house church movements that happen around the world and question, you know, why in America do we do this? Now, I think there is room for critique at times about things like, you know, the money that we spend on buildings and production. Um, sometimes there's room to critique or curb a tendency of pastors or people or maybe both pastors and people to intentionally or unintentionally make Sunday mornings like the only thing that church is. Fair point. But even when there's room for critique, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Even when there is room for critique, don't be proud and judgmental. I'm not saying any of you do this. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying any of you do this, but I do want you to be on guard against this because it's a bad idea. Making sweeping statements, giving broad critiques, pronouncing judgments on pastors or movements or churches or my least favorite one, the American church. That does not make you sound like a mature believer. These are not marks of maturity in the faith. That, you know, you just got enough experience now, enough time in the Lord, that now nobody asked you to be the pastor of the American church, but you can talk like you are. That is not a mark of maturity of the person saying it, and that's, that's the mark of a maturity of somebody you should be listening to in regards to what they're saying in that way. 
Be on guard against those who would wax eloquent about their anecdotal experiences of the church and what the church should do better, what the church could do better, what the church ought to, you know, all Christians, what they all need to do better. Because what's happening there is that what people are, are doing and they're saying is essentially, you know, if I were a pastor, I would fix this by leading perfectly. And I, I, that's, I would just, I would take care of this mess, but I'm not a pastor. And in fact, I don't even want to be a pastor or I was a pastor and now I'm not. And I'm not going to lead a church and I'm not going to start a church and I won't do that. I'm just going to complain to you or write a book about it or a blog about it or talk about it on a podcast or create a YouTube channel where I can talk about these things and praise the Lord and help us all grow up. Yes, I understand some of the thoughts about some of the critiques on stuff. I get it. And there's critiques for pastors. I understand critiques about this guy. (laughs) I've got them too. Bring yours to me and let's see if yours are harsher than mine. But I get it. I get it. We should be discerning and we should understand and all of these sorts of deals about, you know, how are we doing things or or a pastor did this or a church does that or somebody said that. And of course, the church, we Christians have our weaknesses. Do we not? Yes, we do. Uh, We do not do everything perfectly. But at the same time, I want us to all understand that, you know, like you're not going to answer to God for how somebody else spent their money. You're not going to answer to God for the way some other pastor runs some church. The pastors that get criticized that you or others or people that we criticize and judge, they will answer to God. How would you want to be prayed for if you were in that position? And your imperfections were on display for all to see. How would you want somebody to pray for you? In other words, like Jesus said, how you judge, you'll be judged. Let us be careful. Let us honor our brothers and sisters. And most of all, let us build up and honor and unify and contribute to with humility and love the bride of Jesus Christ. He's not coming back for your idea or my idea. He is coming back for his bride. I want to be with her. I'm done with that now. <clears throat> that genuinely wasn't at anybody in this room. Austin Faulkner, where are you at? Stand up and show us your hat this morning. You look amazing. <laughs> he gave the pastoral team a Christmas gift. I should have brought it out here. It's this kind of, uh, uh, can I call it cartoon style? Is that, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, cartoon style little um, Comic style sort of thing. Anyways, it says, it's this quote from John Calvin. And he says, the shepherd has one voice for the sheep and one for the wolves. And I, that's a wolf, that idea. So that's why I would talk like that about it. It's not at you. So thank you for encouraging me and building me up in the Lord. 
we shoot wolves. <laughs> That's what us shepherds do. What we're doing right here, right now, this is not like a recent American idea. It's not a Western idea. It is a cornerstone of the kingdom fruit lifestyle outlined in scripture and evidenced by the life of the church throughout all of history, all people, all times, all cultures. We've read Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two recently. There's 120 of them in the upper room. Then 3,000 of them get saved. They start meeting in the temple day by day. They start meeting in their homes as well. The pastor who's writing to the Hebrews, this would have been read in a group of people, the biggest group of Christians they could get in wherever they were gathering. You can't stop us Christians from getting together. People have been trying since Acts chapter 1. And not just like trying, murdering, massacring, legislating. You can't stop us from getting together. It's why believers get massacred, because they all get together. It's how they get arrested, because they all get in one place to explicitly worship Jesus. Like there's no, this is why we're here. We're all here to sing and praise Jesus. That's how easy it is to come and arrest us right now. Those of our brothers and sisters who do. You just can't stop us from getting together. You have meetings at work. Sports teams have stadiums. Families have dinner tables. Friends set up times and places to meet. Because when humans want to do a thing together, we get together and we do that thing. This ain't new. The church is no exception. And the kingdom fruit lifestyle is no exception to us getting together as believers. It is essential in your life for the health of your lifestyle of bearing kingdom fruit that we be together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says, let us consider. Why do we get together? Because we're considering how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's why we're here. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. That's why we are here together to accomplish that end, to stir up one another towards love and good works because the day is near. That's the fruit we're aiming for out of these times together. As we gather on Sundays, I want to explain to you kind of what we do and why we do around here so that we can all have a unified understanding and vision as we gather here on Sundays. We gather or we center these meetings together around three main elements. Number one, the first one is communion. We, we, we center this time together around communion. That's why we have somebody like Steph stand up and give a welcome to everybody who's new here. We want to bring us into communion with each other and communion with God. It matters that every week we recognize that there might be somebody here who's never been to church before or never been to this church before. We want to welcome you in to what's happening here so that what we do here, we do together. And we give vision and we remember why we take the body and the blood of Jesus. We recognize that as we gather in his name, he is present with us. We take communion to elevate the name of Jesus over our own names, over our own circumstances, over our own weeks, over the name of this church, over the time that we're living in, over the culture that we're a part of, over the nation that we live in. 
It's Jesus. We are here in the name of Jesus. We are remembering the body and the blood and the presence of Jesus. We take Selah time to stop our lives and remember Jesus. To allow the Holy Spirit, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm not here to like play a game. You come, search my heart. Purify me before you. Purify me with my brothers and my sisters. If I have an offense against you or an offense with my brothers or sisters, before I partake the perfect body and blood of Jesus, I want to straighten that thing out. I want my heart pure and clear before you so that I can be in unity with God. I can be in unity with my brothers and sisters as we gather in the name of Jesus. And then we stand and we take the elements together as a unified act that we here gathered this morning are here to remember Jesus. As we do that, we become unified with all of our brothers and sisters around the city and around the nation and around the nations, around the past, and even our brothers and sisters in the future. Because the body and the blood of Jesus transcends time transcends culture, transcends walls and ceilings, and it is the Holy Spirit who baptizes us into Jesus as his body and into one another as members of the body of Christ. If that doesn't make you want to pray in tongues, I don't know what will. We say a creed together or a prayer. We do the old Roman creed as a confession of our historic faith. We do like we did this morning, the Antioch prayer, something that we've written as a church to say, this is why we're here. Today is a good day because Jesus is alive and he is here. Come on. That is so good. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Come and do what only you can do. We expect to meet with you. Amen. As a good thing. Yeah, it's awesome if I pray it, but it's better when we together say, this is what we believe. This is why we're here. Then we have everybody turn and say hi to people. And we welcome everybody in from outside. That's like not a time waster. It matters. It puts me face to face. Oh, I'm not here alone. You're here and you're here and I don't want to sit alone. I don't want to let other people sit alone. I want to be on time. I want you to be on time. It matters that we get here to do this together. We welcome each other into the house of God. We welcome each other into the unity of the spirit as we begin our times together. The first thing that we're focused on is communion, communion with God and with one another. The second thing that we focus on is worship. We are focused on lifting up the name of Jesus high. We sing songs, and they're awesome, and our band is amazing, and they lead us, and I'm so glad that they turn it up louder so I can't hear myself because it's terrible, but Jesus hears me, and he loves my songs. <laughs> we sing together, and you know, it's not always like the song you know or your favorite song, but we're doing it together. We're lifting up the name of Jesus. We worship him by prayer. Sometimes we have different prayer things happening during that time. We worship Jesus as we do the part of our service that we call give and take. We worship him by giving him back the tithe and talking about it every single week and saying every time that we get increase in our lives, we recognize, God, my father, you have provided for me. 
You have provided for me. And, and it's not like mine. It's still yours. You're just giving it to me to steward it according to your kingdom. And we tithe. We give back the first 10%. And we mark that habit as a family every week that we get together. Whether you put something in the basket or not. Whether you got paid that week or not. We're remembering as a family. We return back to God his first 10% of what he has given me. It's, it is an act of return. It's an act of worship. It's an act of gratitude. And it's an act of freedom. Keeps me free from the love of money that will drown me. It keeps me free from the love of the world that will distract me. As I mark with the first of what I'm given from God, I give it back to God. What an act of glorious praise. We worship in our offerings as we give with joy and, and, and a happy, filled heart to the various other things that we're able to give to. We share testimony every week as an act of worship to Jesus. Somebody like Megan vulnerably shares, here's what God did in my life. It's an act of worship as she leads us together in praising God for doing what only he can do. It is so good to hear the testimony of Jesus and be reminded he's alive and he's working and he's active and he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our focus and our attention and he's worthy of our affection. Even our announcements are worship, church. It is worship. It is worship to say, hey, there's things we're still going to be doing together, not on Sundays. This is how we live worshiping Jesus together. Here's the prayer times that we have that we can pray together at. Here's the Ash Wednesday service that we are going to get together and mark the season of Lent together for. It's just glorious, isn't it? God is good. The third thing that we center around is the preaching of the word, the preaching of the word of God. We stand as we read the word of God, show honor and reverence and faith and expectation. Me or somebody else stands up here and does our best to teach the word of God and preach the word of God. We believe and, and, and we, we pray almost every week, Lord, make us hungry for the word of God. Make us hungry. We're hearing so many things. You are hearing so many things. You're being taught so many things. You're being yelled at in so many voices from so many different directions. And as the people of God, we mark it on our calendars every week. I'm going to get together and I'm going to sit under the word of God with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we are going to respond to him together. Of all the tribes I can be a part of. Come on. Of all of the labels that I might have or trying to get put on me all week, every week. I choose this one. I will carry the name of Jesus with those who carry his name. We allow the word of God to be a sharp two-edged sword and divide us. Go down into our souls and our spirits. And get into our flesh and cut away the things that need to get away. No matter how bad it hurts and how comfortable it is. We allow the living God to come and teach me and rebuke me and exhort me, and perfect me according to his good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. 
We respond at the end. We have a time of worship and prayer because when we hear the word of God, we don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to do it. We want to do it. Yes, the hearing of of the word of God brings faith, but the doing of the word of God is how you step into the blessing of following Jesus. John 15, we said it in personal devotion. Jesus says, abide in me by keeping his commands. We've got to obey him, church. And we come together every week to say, this is the voice I want to obey. If all the voices that I hear in my life, we center around these three things as we get together every week. Communion, worship, and the preaching of the word of God. That's what our corporate times are all about. That's why we do this. That's why we pay rent in a building and put up some speakers and put down some chairs because we say it matters. Every week I've got to be here. (laughs) Of course, you're not here every week, but you get the point. I have to have this. I have to have this. I have to have this. We have other gatherings that I really encourage you to be a part of as they happen and as you're able. We've been talking about Ash Wednesday. I really, really invite you and ask you to be there. Easter is like the main thing. (laughs) Right? It's like kind of a big deal, like for us Christians. He really died and he really rose from the grave. You know, like that's a big deal. And so Lent is the season of preparing for Easter and going beyond just another Sunday where we celebrated Easter. We want to prepare our hearts over the course of a season to celebrate Jesus and recognize the, rec- the resurrection. We want to do it together. Please come on that night. I know there's no childcare. It's one hour. You and your kids can do it. <laughs> Believe in yourself. <laughs> Believe in your kids. They sit still other places. They can sit still here. Make it happen, honestly. They can do it here too. Come and let's get unified in the vision of how we're spending Lent together, of how we're preparing for Easter and the resurrection together. I want you to be there. When we have Good Friday right before Easter, be there. Be there for that. Like, again, it's kind of a big deal. Like the cross, you know? (laughs) Let's celebrate together. Let's celebrate together. The call to action for you is really simple when it comes to integrating the rhythm of corporate gatherings into your lifestyle of bearing kingdom fruit. Be here and participate. That's it. The value of corporate gatherings is you participating in the local body of Christ. That's what it means. It's not just you being present here. It's you participating. Kingdom fruit doesn't happen just by you being present when Christians get together. Engage and participate together. I love this exhortation in Hebrews. It just is so true. It, it gets, it's weird if you're like, oh, of course, the Bible wants me to go to church. Of course it tells me. That's like a really lame way to read the Bible. Read it from the perspective of like, oh, man, that's so darn true. Like, let us, I love that, verse 24 and 25 here. And 23 too. Let us hold fast the confession 
of our hope without wavering. That's in there because everything is trying to make me let go of this confession and not have any hope and waver. Everything, everything is trying to do that. So let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, encouraging one another. And let's do it all the more as the day is drawing near. I do this thing where every once in a while I, I try to, in one way or the other, read or listen, go through the Bible in a month. And I highly recommend it as a spiritual discipline. If you've never tried it before, try it someday, someday, do it. Done it a couple of times. And one thing I take away from it every time in different ways from the New Testament is that all the letters in the New Testament say the same thing. When you, listen, when you go through all of them in like three days, you're like, I'm this all the same thing. I know when you read the New Testament, you're like, it's the same thing over and over, like same kings and all this sort of stuff, you know. But no, the New Testament letters is the same way. It's the same thing over and over again. It says three things, every one of them. Number one, every letter is telling you Jesus is king. Every letter is reminding the Christians Jesus is king. Because we need to be reminded every single day Jesus is king. You don't get a vote in the kingdom of God. He's the king. Don't waste your time arguing with him or with one another. Jesus is king. The sooner you submit and learn to, and learn to submit to Jesus, the better it is for you and for everybody else. Just, hey, Jesus is king. Start there. Stop waiting to get convinced. Just agree, and then you'll learn along the way. Jesus is king. Because you disagreeing doesn't pull him off the throne. The whole time I'm arguing, he's still up there. Jesus is king, number one. Number two, be holy. Be holy. Be holy. And one of the main ways that every letter tells the Christians to be holy is to love the church. Be set apart unto God by loving who God loves. And he is returning for his bride. He is returning for his church. Love her. Don't curse her. Build her. Don't tear her down. Be holy. Quit wasting your time on sin and run the race marked out for you. That's what they all say. I'm not saying it. That's what they all say. Don't waste your time criticizing Jesus and what he's not doing and how he's not coming back like you thought he would and how the church isn't doing what you think it should do. Just get on board with him, building his church, preparing his bride for himself. Set yourself towards him. Be holy. Jesus is king. Be holy. And number three, your life matters. Your life really matters. It's really short. It's about to end, actually, and it really matters. All the letters say that. Say, Don't get mad at me. That's what they say. It's like, hey, listen, you're going to die really soon. Really soon, you're going to be dead, and you're going to be before Jesus, and he has given you eternal life, and as you enter into the eternal life of Jesus, you will stand before him all alone, with no one else to cover for you, nobody else to blame, nobody else to look at, and he will judge you with about what you did with this tiny little temporal, eternally important life. Jesus is king. Be holy. Your life matters. And Hebrews chapter 10 says, chapter 10 says considering all of that, doesn't it just make sense that we would get together? and encourage one another towards those good works. Build each other up towards that holiness. Encourage one another because that day is near and it's kind of getting nearer. 
Either he's coming or I'm gonna be with him. Why would it be more important to be on time for a meeting with your boss than to be on time for church with Christians and the presence of Jesus? Why, why is it okay to just, you know, miss communion at the beginning of church but not miss the start of the movie? Why will you not miss a game, not miss an episode, but two or three weeks being at church a month? That's okay. Why would you listen to podcasts, watch the news, comment on social media every day, but not get together once a week to encourage one another, build one another up and come to church considering how might I stir up my brothers and sisters towards love of God, towards love of one another and towards the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do that we should walk in them. Why would we prioritize all of those other things over this? Why is this the thing that would give? We're not talking about a Western way of doing church or an American model of something. We are talking about one of the five consistent elements of a lifestyle that bears kingdom fruit that God outlines for us and our brothers and sisters and our mothers and fathers and the Lord have modeled for us for centuries. Let us humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God and honor our mothers and fathers and follow in the footsteps that they have lined out for us. And all the more as the day is drawing near. Let us enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Yes. Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Let us do it even more as the day draws near. Of course, you're going to miss some weeks. You're going to be late sometimes. That's not what I'm getting at. Nobody's in trouble. You don't need to explain it if you're late to me. And of course, you need more in your spiritual life than just being here on Sunday mornings. Obviously, this isn't the only thing. It's not the most important thing, but this is an essential thing. I don't care what book you read, podcast you listen to, feeling you have or thing a smart person says, you participating in the local body of Christ. You participating in we is essential. Because if you and I don't do this, who is us? Who is we? Would you stand as we wrap up our time together? We're going to have our prayer team available if you need prayer for anything in your life. We're going to worship and pray as we set ourselves to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do this morning. Lord, we love you and we invite you Lead us in responding to you here and now, all together, in the name of Jesus. Amen.